0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the 100k freelancer club podcast today today is a first for us we're actually for the first time ever we have a special guest from the other side of the pond to us so we've got our very first guest from the United States of America this is dare I say it the king of automation he worked for a long time as a successful freelancer and then transitioned himself into a business owner running for the last six years, a nice successful company called Arch DevOps, which do everything to do with automation. And that's something that we're gonna dive deep into today is that in the world of business, in the world of freelance, how can automation help you? How can it save you time, increase return on investment, and just bring more success to your freelance career? But right before we dive into this podcast, I just want to say head over to 100kfreelancerclub.com where you can sign up for your free account and you're going to get access to our live masterclasses where we cover some awesome topics everything from getting your first client to how nfts work and how nfts can benefit you as a creative freelancer to even pricing as a freelancer there's some really awesome stuff going over on the website at the moment it's free so why not go and check it out and sign up but without further ado let's jump straight into the podcast today michael frichuz and i hope i'm uh pronouncing that right uh, right but uh, yeah how are you doing today i'm doing really
1: well sir doing really well how are you
0: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thank you. Uh, I'm recording today from the same location as always in uh, Barcelona. We are missing Niall, who's um, still in rainy Manchester. But uh, where are you calling from today?
1: I am in St. Louis, Missouri, in the U.S., uh, it's rainy here too, so you know. Oh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so
0: it's uh, it's it's quite nice. So I'm looking out the window, probably twenty degrees, perfect sunshine. So, living, <laughs> living, living the dream out here. <laughs> yeah,
1: trade me, man. I'm jealous. It's dark out here. I do these shows, I do podcasts out in my truck, and I'm like, I got
0: out here, and it's
1: dark out here.
0: It's oh man, what I'm what sorry. time is it actually where you are?
1: Uh, it's uh, about eight fifteen a.m.
0: Ah, awesome! So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the thing. When you're working, um, like freelance, you know, self-employed, and most of the st- stuff you do is well, for me, anyways, in different time zones. Is that mm-hmm. something that's ever like? Does it annoy you, or is that something that you love doing? I love doing it, honestly. Um, you know,
1: I I've really come to deeply appreciate lack of stability lack of predictability so i absolutely don't mind working in different time zones it actually it feels a lot better because if you're working on a project and you have to hand it off to somebody else who's in a different time zone it's like handing a baton in a relay race instead of just run 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 stop and then coming in run 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 the next day and stop again it's like there's constant progress so i love it but i'm also weird i have a weird brain i'll be the first one to tell you that and (laughs) You know, your mileage may vary if you're a freelancer and you're like, oh, I hate this, you know, that's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For me, it's the same thing. I love that when sort of if you're working on a time zone where you've got, you know, you, you're you actually given eight hours. So you've gained a bit of time. So you've got, you know, an extra a working day to complete a project. And and that's always a benefit. But vice versa, it can be the other way around if you can go backwards uh, into their time zone. And also the communication delays as well can... Um, can get a bit annoying. But I'm going to jump in as well and just say that, so you are the founder of a company called Arch DevOps in St. Louis, I believe. And you've been running that company now for six years. Was that something that you started as just an individual, just a solopreneur, just a a, a freelance and developed it from there?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I had kind of sat on the idea for couple years thinking you know I could maybe I could start a business doing this kind of stuff and I got my opportunity a couple years later so I kicked it off in 2015 and started it off with the intent of coming into large companies that produce software of all kinds and they need to test the software and when they realize oh we're taking up too much time now we've got to automate the testing and yeah it's just it's kind of it's kind of spun out from there. It's all, it's automation of all kinds. It's not just software testing. It's all kinds of automation, just re up huge floppy chunks of time. But yeah, it, it got humble beginnings. It was just me with a dream, uh, basically just working full time as a consultant at different companies until that stopped working. And it's just evolved from there, man. Yeah. Oh man, those were, those were scary times back then, bro. Like I had all my eggs in one basket. I'm like, (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, really? What? Just like, so you were just solely one income stream, just one thing from the freelance consultant?
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and I did the one thing that, you know, any business school would say, don't do this, make sure not to do this. I totally did that because I don't have an MBA. I didn't plan on being a business owner. Um, but I would just take on contract roles at companies and work like 40, 45, 50 hours a week at one place. And then if a contract ended, uh oh, uh huh, right? So, it took me it took me a couple of years to learn how to diversify my work portfolio but never going back never going back now
0: Yeah cuz some I think the problem that that has as well is even though you might accept a contract like that for 40 hours if it's if it's sort of a flexible not really long-term contract it can really damage your annual earnings cuz if you're getting dropped from a contract or the contract expires you know you're picking up new contracts every four months it might take you a month or two in between to grab a new contract so you've got those one or two months where you're not earning anything which if you look at it overall from like a yearly perspective can really be detrimental to like what you're actually earning. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely can be that was a that was a thing I went through Uh, there was a contract that fell through and then it took four months to get the next one and it was scary and looking back it's like well now I know it was only four months but when you're going through it it's like oh when when is this ever gonna you know what's gonna happen so
0: yeah and it's the stress that brings along as well like I've been there man 100% when you lose like a big client or like your, your breadwinner client let's just call it and you just you just constantly thinking like what am I gonna do even if it's not that damaging because as a freelancer like myself I always prepare for these situations I always make sure I'm financially secure enough to go a long time you know without good clients but it still adds a massive amount of stress to me. Like, I can't even, no matter how secure I am, I can't stop thinking about at night when I'm led there, just my brain is spinning at 100 miles an hour, like, okay, how am I gonna get this next big client? It's 921 days until I go bankrupt sort of thing. Like, is that the sort of stuff that runs through your mind as well when you lose those contracts? It is, but to be
1: clear, there's a lot, that happens all the time. It happens all the time, and and now, looking back i don't it may run through my head but it doesn't run amok through my head like it might be a thought that i have but i've seen time and time again there's always been something that comes through at the last minute or provision comes from another direction right so i've learned to stop worrying about that kind of thing because that's just the norm you know that's just the norm and i'm okay with that and you know if anything it tells me okay i gotta i gotta if I'm actually worried about that, I can either waste energy continuing to worry about it, which doesn't get me anywhere, or I can say, all right, that's a quantifiable and solvable thing. How do I make it so that that doesn't happen? What small action can I do now that leads to another action that leads to another action that, you know, chain, 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 and then, hey, new client. Well, then you just set up a sales funnel. Like, what, you know what I mean? You gotta pay top dollar to learn how to do that kind of thing. You just figured it out yourself. Kudos to you. Do it again, do it again, do it again. And then. That just helps me worry a whole lot less. So I guess a shorter answer to your question is, yeah, I I think about it, but now I've learned to take that worry energy and turn it into fix energy, fix the problem,
0: make that not actually
1: manifest itself. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I think what you're saying as well there with the sales funnel is kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today is automation. Mm -hmm. Like you put a system in place to make sure that you are consistently getting clients. So it's not something that you have to put a tremendous amount of what I like to call manual effort and man hours into, which can be difficult if you're working on projects, because a lot of freelancers fall into the trap of, they spend ages looking for clients, a tremendous amount of time trying to get clients. They get the clients, and then they're working all of their hours that they're working on working for those clients, and then when the project's right. complete or ends or, you know, they get cut, they don't have anything else lined up. So then they need to spend that time again, unpaid, looking for clients. But if you were to right. build some sort of automated system where it's looking or you're looking for clients and client prospect in, you know, sales whilst you're working on the paid client work, that's going to help you such a tremendous amount in your freelance career. It absolutely will. And
1: that is that is a common trap that freelancers fall into. And, and I can say that because, yo, I've fallen into that trap myself. It's like, you know, 100% of your time is billable, but it, it takes a lot of bravery to devote a certain percentage of time and say, I'm only going to have maybe 80% or 60% of my time be billable and use the other 40% for that lead generation, because you're right, I mean, ultimately you're gonna, you know, either a company is going to stop needing your services because they feel like they don't need it, or you're gonna finish the project and you have to cut loose because you did the thing they asked you to do. So if you're not spending at least some time developing, nurturing relationships, getting in front of the right people so that they know you and they're like, oh, hey, you know, there's Jacob, he's the specialist in, this kind of thing. I know I can go to that guy uh, if I'm having this problem, right? You're not spending any time doing that. You know, you're setting yourself up for largely the same kind of problem where if you were working full time at one company for a
0: contract
1: and then it ends and then, oh, shoot, and then you got to hurry up and find something else. So, yeah,
0: and automation goes
1: a long way toward that.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's not just restricted to sales either. I mean, as, as a freelancer or business owner or entrepreneur, like you were saying then, like, you know, you could calculate that sixty percent of your time is billable because the other forty percent of the time needs to be focused on, you know, administrative tasks. You're as a freelancer or a business owner, you have this whole ecosystem to look after to make sure it functions. So there's a lot of tasks and things that can be shipped out to automation. I mean, even just as simple as, you know, accounting and bookkeeping. You can basically now there's pieces of software that you can link straight to your bank account that recognize the expenses you're making and just automatically add that into your books for you as an expense, as an advertising spend, as this, that, and the other. And it's just little things like that, that that can cut down you know, three hours a month for you and then there's three hours a month more that you have to work on billable time uh, with clients. But well, a question I do have for you is, yeah. is, is: Is what do you think would be your recommendation to somebody listen to this podcast right now? If if they're just entering the thought space of automation, what's the first thing they can do as a freelancer, as a small business owner? What would be the first thing you would recommend them to try and automate? Well. Before trying to find something to automate, I
1: would say the first thing is do kind of a time audit. You know, we I think we all probably think, oh, I'm spending a lot of time here. And actually, you don't really know for sure. You don't really know for sure where your time is being spent. So, you know, consider even, you know, writing on a spreadsheet. If you want to get real low tech and it's manual, um, just kind of log your time. Do it for a week. Do it for a week or two and whatever category you're spending your time in at the end of that time span total it up and say okay this week or this two weeks i spent you know 13 and a half hours doing this particular kind of task that's going to be your first indicator that if you're going to automate something one thing it should be in that category now the flip side is you could you could run out and be like i'm going to automate all the things and that that is a strategy that does not work and (laughs) And no. I have, I'm just getting all my skeletons out of the closet, man. I'm like digging up core memories. But ooh, remember that when you made that mistake? Yes. I'm trying to block it out, man. Brain and we're, we're just, you're bringing out the worst to me, Jacob. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you definitely don't want to try to automate every single thing. You, you want to pick one thing, try it on for size, find out what works, find out what doesn't work. And then that's gonna give you more visibility into what else you can automate. And you know what you decide as you build out your ecosystem is gonna look wildly different from mine. It's gonna look wildly different from any other entrepreneur. There's no right way to do it just as long as it's freeing up time. So start small, don't try to boil the ocean and you know identify where you're spending the most time
0: first. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, that's great advice there. And I think what it comes down to there is what we talk a lot about on um the course is something called opportunity cost so if you're saying as well what a great thing to do is write down you know your time what you've been doing over the course of a week and identify you know areas where you could potentially automate something or you're spending um a lot of time on think about what the opportunity cost of that could be so for i'm just going to pull back to something extremely simple let's just go back to the the, the bookkeeping um Example, if you have a lot of you know expenses and transactions and you know you're spending let's just say four hours a week doing this financial work You could then look at the cost of software or look at the cost of freelancing out um, A simple bookkeeper and that simple bookkeeper might cost $15 an hour But your billable rate as a graphic designer is a graphic designer is $60 an hour So by freeing up that four hours, yes, you're losing $15 an hour but you're gaining $4 of potentially $60 an hour. So the opportunity cost there is much more beneficial. Even if it might cost you money to automate something, the opportunity cost is basically bringing you gross profit in what you've invested to automate that is bringing you more in than you've paid for it. Is that something that you've like Absolutely. done and applied in, in your business?
1: It is, and that's something that I help other people apply to because as I'm working with clients you know one of the first things a lot of times they'll come to me and they'll say i need automation and it's like great i you know or if if they come to me and i say hey how's your day going and they start with uh it's like okay uh you know i got my ears on maybe they need some automation yeah the first thing is yeah and it's like i was just having a conversation with somebody who uh my phone buzzed actually and it was her again she had a really good conversation and she was telling me what her billable rate is and she's like i don't I don't tell people what my billable rate is because I charge my project. She's like, but it works out to be yada, yada per hour. And I said, okay, that's cool. I said, so w- what I do is I, you know, put it into an ROI calculator. And opportunity cost is a big thing because if if you're saying you charge, let's say $90 an hour, this is kind of the flip side of what you were talking about just now. If you're charging $90 an hour and you're spending four hours a week on a particular task, then you know, you could pay somebody fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah, you're making up you're making up that difference. But I look at it and say, okay, you're missing out on earning three hundred and sixty bucks in a week, right? So would you pay sixty bucks to make three hundred and sixty dollars? I think anybody would say yes to that. So that absolutely is something I've had to do myself and say, okay, well, how much of my time percent, which wise am I spending on actual billable work, like things that I do to make money versus what am I spending my time on that's not that and do a difference and say, okay, you know, my target is 75% of my time needs to be billable, but I'm spending 40% of my time on non-billable stuff, which means I can only at most do 60%. That's no mas, I have to automate something or hire a VA or something you know an automation guy hiring a va fancy that um <laughs> but yeah i it it absolutely is something and it just i think sometimes we just run forward and try to figure out like fix the problem it's like not ah, we got to define the problem first so yeah. putting putting some hard numbers really helps with that it helps bring a lot of perspective
0: Yeah, and what you were saying before as well is you don't want to look at automation. Be like, I'm going to automate absolutely everything. And it's the same with like everything in goal setting. Really, if you if you set a goal to this enormous goal that has no, you know, clear breakdown of how you're going to reach it, or you know, it's not a smart goal as they call it, it. It's going to get you're going to get overwhelmed, demotivated, and then quit. And so I think you yes. apply the same thing to automation. Okay, okay. What can I automate first? What is priority one? What is priority two, three, four? Instead of just looking and going, I'm going to automate absolutely like everything under the sun. And you can apply that to basically every aspect um, of the business as well. Just break stuff down into bite-sized baby steps. Because it's so much easier and it's so much more satisfying as well. If you break stuff down small and you're ticking off that checklist, it gives you momentum. And I think momentum is a tremendously important thing for anybody, you know, freelancer or not. Having that momentum in your life of being on a journey towards a goal is fantastic. And I think as well, before, before we started this podcast, we were just having a brief conversation um, about yourself. And you're saying at the moment you're coming through, you know, some uh, like a spiritual journey, sort of like an evolution um, of yourself. Do you want to dive into that a bit more and just uh, tell me what you mean by that? Sure thing. So
1: I, I'll start at the beginning how, how I kind of messed up my brain. That sounds bad. I, so my career, I started off as a software developer. I still write code. Um, I went from being a software developer to being a software tester and i often tell people you know if you want to start a business don't ever become a software tester first because you know when you're when you're paid when your dopamine drip in your brain is tied to you coming up with the worst possible case for everything all the time like it's a hard habit to break and so i as a business owner i often spent more time than I was comfortable with just worrying about stuff, man, like so much stuff I was worried about. And it's not even stuff that was actually happening. It was fake junk. I would just manufacture these scenarios in my head. Ooh, what if this person had said this and I would have said that and then I'd be upset or I'd be mad or I'd, you know, I'd win this mental argument in my head. And yeah. And then it was like, I just, I didn't feel good about myself. What a, what a hideous waste of energy. And Part of this mental and spiritual journey that I've gone on ties back to something I said earlier, where things will always work out in the end, and and I make no I make no bones about it. I mean, I I'm a professed Christian. You know, I believe in God. I practice my faith every day. It's an integral part of my life, and it's also an integral part of my business. And I started realizing, I'm like, you know, running a business. I didn't realize this, but this is a way for me to exercise my faith because there's so much uncertainty as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, even if you've got a team, you might think you've got a handle on things, but you don't. And I just realized, I'm like, okay, I'm actually a lot tougher than I thought I was. There's a lot of things that I worry about that historically, and I'm 40 years old. uh, Everything's worked out to date. I'm pretty sure things are still going to work out, It might be uncomfortable, but the discomfort comes from me feeling like I'm going to fail and thinking that that defines me as a person. And it doesn't. You know, when you fail, and you will fail at some things, when that happens, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. It means you failed. It's a piece of data. It's an event. But it doesn't define who you are. And And I had to have that drilled into me for like probably two years before it finally sunk in. And so now I'm just doing the thing I'm, I'm taking risk and going in different directions and experimenting and trying stuff and living well outside my comfort zone, which that's where growth happens. And I, c- I can't go back, man. I can't go back to the old Fritz. Like it makes me go huge just thinking about it. I, I'm like, I don't want to go back to that old and busted thing. And then when I, and it's funny because now that I'm here, it's almost like I'm vibrating at a higher energy level because I've got people coming to me out of nowhere who sometimes I haven't heard from them in like a year and we're catching up and they tell me they're having the exact same problem. And I'm like, boy, have I got a story for you? And I tell them the same thing and it helps them. They're like, I can't believe that I ran into you when I did. I just, I had a thought I should reach out to you and just tell you about this. And this is the most helpful thing. I'm like, glad I could be here for you, buddy. But you know, I'm just, (laughs) I'm just out here vibrating, you know, and you found me. Um, But yeah, it's, it's just been such an amazing journey. It, it is not, I, I being an entrepreneur is one of the best ways to improve yourself. And it's, I mean, I, I have, if you had met me, I would say even a year ago, you'd be like, man, this dude does not know what the heck, like how, no, I don't want to have him on my podcast. Like he doesn't know what he's doing now. It's like, I'm out there sharing my story. If you met me five years ago, you'd be like, this dude is a basket case. Like, get him away from me, you know? But do you think, think that's
0: more of, like, imposter syndrome that you had back then? Or do you actually feel like you were in that state? Like, so do you actually feel like you weren't good enough in that point of time to be on podcasts, to be sharing stories? Or do you think you were just suffering from a little bit of imposter syndrome?
1: Oh, I think I was suffering from a lot of bit of, of imposter syndrome, sir. I think that was like, I was like the president of the imposter syndrome club. It was terrible, <laughs> you know? And and I realized, too, that the, the reason for that, actually the reason for imposter syndrome in general is, you know, we kind of train our brains to lie to us, you know? And, and our brains are wired up to do that anyway, you know? They're great at detecting patterns. And once a pattern's established, the brain is like, great i don't have to overclock myself to think more about this but it's a protective measure so anytime that there's some new thing or some new situation where hey what if i did that what if i went you know your brain's going to kick in and try to protect you from that because it means oh i'm going to have to use more calories i'm going to have to you know burn some more fuel in order to figure this out i'm going to turn on the fear alarm and make this guy or gal not do this right and imposter syndrome is one of those things, you know. You think about it, it's like, "Oh, I'm I'm surrounded by just demigods." Like, "Wow, like how did I manage to cajole myself into this group of people? They're going to find me out as a fraud." That's a fear response. And when I realized, I'll tell you one thing, and I think this was what what kicked imposter syndrome in the balls, bollocks, I guess would be the good word. Uh, <laughs> Was I was talking with somebody, and she is an accomplished business owner. She's owned multiple businesses. I think she's on like her second or third business right now. She and her husband have a business. She's got a web design marketing business. Um, real awesome lady, big heart, and um, she's a TEDx speaker. And the first couple of times that I talked to her over Zoom, I was like, you know what, like what's her angle? What is this woman's angle? Like, why is she wanting to spend some of her time with me? What's the, what's the goal here? What, what's she after? And I think the third time I talked to her, I had a realization. I said, you know what? She knows how to manage her own time. She has said no to hopping on a call for different reasons or introducing her to somebody. And she's like, no, nah, I don't think that'd be a good fit. I'm like, she knows how to manage her time. And yet she's choosing to spend some of that with me. I must be a really freaking cool dude. Boom. The imposter syndrome went away. And everybody has got value. And I think where we, where we end up lying to ourselves is thinking that we don't have value. Thinking that, oh, I'm not as valuable as this other person. When we're all just a bunch of squishy humans running around. We've all got baggage. We've all... Got faults and failures, and we're all people. So everybody's got value. And when I had that realization with her, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have had just, I thought it was incurable. I thought it was just going to be something I have to deal with. And dude, it's gone. I don't have to. I'm not spending billable hours worrying about, like, oh, they're going to find me out as a fraud. I don't even worry about it anymore. I don't worry about it anymore.
0: But is it something that, so you say you don't worry about it anymore, but is it more like, the thought literally never enters your mind or is it something that enters and you just dismiss it with ease or do you just never think about that?
1: I rarely think about it. Um, The times that I do think about it, I realize right away it's because I'm tired and I'm not thinking as highly of myself because I'm just drained. I don't have energy, you know? And yeah, if you start feeling that way, I mean, it's a low-tech solution. Take a nap. You know, eat a candy bar or something like that. Um, you know, get some energy. But I, I realize it right away that that's what I'm experiencing, and it's made a world of difference. It's made a world of difference. I would seriously, I would waste. This sounds terrible saying this out loud, but I got to be honest with you. I would waste days procrastinating on things because i thought i'm not worth this um now i'm like as soon as i have a thought if i've got time and it seems valuable boom i'll just go that direction and i'll ask somebody i'll be like hey what do you think of this and i'll send an email to like 15 people asking them the same question um because i know i'm worth it and and i and i treat other people as if they're worth it too because i don't ever want them to feel the way that i felt about myself so anytime you know there's any indication where i'm talking with somebody i'm like i think they've got imposter syndrome i'm like all right Time to go in heart mode and I'm gonna share the story. So yeah, I, it, it's rare. But it, it is rare, it is rare that I think that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, well, I don't know about everybody, but a, a lot of people that I speak to, they, whether they're coming through a hard time or not, they have sort of a negative view of themselves and they always view other people as better than themselves. And I think that gives them right. a lot of doubt in their own ability, the imposter syndrome like seeps into their mind and, and and they can't stop thinking about you know how you know how they shouldn't be there it could be somebody else doing a better job but one thing that i've found to do as well is because I, I used to suffer from this massively i was in in the same position of you especially as like a young freelancer like i came even in university and straight out of university like i've always been freelancing and always yeah. been in that position where i just don't feel qualified enough to be doing to be doing what I'm doing because it, it's sort of like a catch twenty two. Because for me, I'm a I feel like I'm a super ambitious person, but at the same time, I used to suffer from a crazy amount of imposter syndrome. So I'd always be pushing my ability, always be going for the next bigger, higher, better project. But at the same time, being inside that project, feeling sort of. worried about, you know, being an imposter, not being as as, as good as as somebody else. But what happens Mm -hmm. for me is I think the fix for me came from like a similar experience to you. But it's just when I get down to sort of chatting with friends in a similar, you know, position to me and in just talking away about what I've been doing, the work I'm doing, how I'm doing it, how I'm conducting myself and just getting informal feedback from people like yo man that's really good that's really cool like you're awesome and it's like you can look back at it and be like oh yeah i actually i actually did do a good job there and just taking the time to look back on on stuff that you've been been doing and appreciate what you've done if you can set yourself a task to actually just look back on past projects and compliment yourself I think that goes a thousand miles you know in, in towards your self confidence and in getting rid of imposter syndrome because if you're always looking forward about what you could do or what other people could do or other people's ability or your potential ability in the future after five more years experience you're never going to feel happy and content like in yourself and is that something that you think is well contributed to like your feelings back then is you were like more stuck looking into the future, or comparing yourself to other people that was causing that doubt.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that was, uh, see, I don't know if it contributed to it or if it was a symptom of it, right? I mean, it's all, it's like, if you've got imposter syndrome, it's like all of that stuff, just blah, blah, all together. But the one thing that I know really stands out, you know, talking about compliments, when somebody gives me a compliment, you know, I treat it less as, oh, I mean, I'm thankful that they gave me the compliment, but I'm not like boosting. I'm not using it to like boost myself up and feel better about myself. Like, oh, man, I was really down in the dumps and now I'm like a few inches higher. I'm like, Thank you. Right. I have it, you know, in my hand at eye level and I can see it and say, see self, people like you and they enjoy you and they appreciate you. All right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm already up. I'm already elevated. I'm already at eye level with everybody else. I just, I have it, you know, in the palm of my hand, that compliment where I can look at that and say, this is evidence that somebody really cares about me. So, and I didn't really, you know, actually, I didn't realize that until just now that that's how I felt about compliments. Cause I can, I remember thinking back and, oh, wow, I can go two weeks on a good compliment like that. Thank you. Like, wow, I was really, but now I'm like, you know, that's just validation that people really enjoy being around me. I think if anybody's dealing with imposter syndrome, like, you know, I don't have a form of the fort, but do what you can to get rid of it. <laughs> because, uh, oh, it is so oppressive. It seriously is. I wish yeah. I could automate it. I, I can't do that. I, I'm not, I'm good, but I'm not that good. And that's not imposter <laughs> syndrome. I'm talking just, it's a squishy human thing that there's no, uh, you know, Zapier doesn't do anything for that. I, I looked. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Is there is there a uh, is there an API for this? No, there's not. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, just get an Elon Musk chip in the brain to just get rid of it. Yeah, I know, right? That would be a, that would be a product. I think we'd all be we'd all be running to the shops to purchase.
1: <laughs> that would be. You know, you'd have like a little USB port in the back of your neck. You can just like plug into stuff. Man, I somebody's going to hack it though. That seems like you know the QA tester in me is like ah, there's a vulnerability exploit here. You know, that new technology, you got to let it mature for about 10 years before you...
0: Yeah, you do not want to be the first guy in line getting that chip. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. It kind of reminds me, imagine if it was like, have you seen um, Inception, the film Inception?
1: I haven't, but I've seen enough memes on Reddit. I get the basic gist of it.
0: Uh, I was going to say, there's there's basically a robot in the film called Sars. And um, Mm -hmm. they say, like, Sars, humor, 50%. And imagine you're just walking around like... Okay, Jacob humor. No, Jacob imposter syndrome zero percent. And that would that would be awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, confidence two hundred percent. Yeah, I know, right?
1: Swagger. Oh man, the ladies <laughs> are just coming out of everywhere, and I'm married. I oh, turn it off. You know, it'd be just my luck. If there would be like an overflow error, or somebody put a cheat code in there or something like that. So, yeah, you're scaring me off from that, man. I I will I will just I'm not gonna get a port
0: put in my head. I'm just you know I'm not feeling it. I'm nah, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just couldn't ever imagine it, you know, like, it's, it's well, the fear of being hacked, you know, like, right. one day you wake up and you're seeing Starbucks adverts in your vision because they've hacked you, or, you know, it's <laughs> something even worse. Yeah, it takes retina display to a whole new level, huh? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, swinging back to what we were talking about earlier, do you think that you're a man that fears failure? Ah, oh,
1: yes. Uh, and I'm trying not to, like, I'm a lot better about it than I was, but it's not gone, you know, I still have sometimes a moment's hesitation when I'm getting ready to do something, and I think I might fail, I have to tell myself a few times, if it's, if you're gonna fail, it's just information, it's not, you suck, it's not, you're a failure, it's, you know, you, you try to thing, and nobody's a psychic. Nobody can predict the future. But you tried something, and it didn't go according to plan. Why is that a bad thing? Why do we view failure as a bad thing and try to avoid it?
0: No, I know but a I lot of tell people myself, that they yeah they, they view failure is just an experience. Like it's yeah. a good thing. And I mean, right now for me, like I've had many failures um, in my life. And and sometimes when I'm applying for projects or work and stuff, I'm writing about. You know what failed because I can identify why it failed, and I've learned from it, and it and it benefits me. But at the same time, I still fear it. I can't get rid of the fear right. of failure. You know, obviously, yeah. I'd rather succeed than fail, but I still think there's a tremendous amount of value in failing because yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I guess for me, it's how you fail because the worst type of failure I I feel is that if you could have done something more like if you were lazy or if you didn't put enough effort in and you have that tr- like horrible question stuck in your mind that what if what if i did this or what if i did that if there's you know enough space there that you dedicated yourself to a project and you were going to work full time on it and you only you know ended up working 3 hours a day because you were being lazy and then you fail that what if is horrible so my mentality now is that if you're going to do something do it 100%. Because then if you fail, you can just wipe your hands of it and say, I tried, it failed, next project. Right. And yeah.
1: I, I get that, yeah. And there's, you know, one of the things that I've adopted over the years is if I'm worried about a really big failure, like what if I can fail at something in a small way? Like let's test this, right? So, you know, take any kind of project and oh big giant project okay i might fail at this okay well how can you fail earlier with not as much risk not as much exposure like at what point can you say okay well this isn't gonna work and and i'm glad and the customer's glad too that i didn't commit a ton of time and money to this because they're gonna have something that doesn't work for them so at least they only paid a little bit, and we learned, right? And I can move on to something else. Uh, um, so sometimes when I start feeling that way, I'm like, uh, "This, I'm setting myself up for a big failure here." But I need it means I need more information if I think it's coming.
0: Yeah, um, but then yeah, do you believe you're the sort me. of person that thinks in the sense of when you're like iron up one of these projects? Do you identify failure as an option? and then act upon that? Or are you more of the person that sort of like, you know, go hard or go home. Like this is, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to get it right. Failure is not an option. But then if you fail, it's sort of, okay, we learned to move on. Or even like talking with your clients, do you go through that with them? Do you go through the option of failure? Like why stuff could fail? Ooh, well,
1: I'm of the opinion that when it comes to anything software related, anything on the internet, anything on a computer, anything's possible. Um, The failure point comes from running out of budget, running out of time. Um, But there's a way to accomplish whatever it is that a person is asking for. It's just a matter of, can we get it done within these constraints? If, If that's not possible, then yeah, we have to have a discussion. We have to figure out, okay, what features can we cut but we also have to be in constant contact with that customer as well. So regular updates, they gotta be in the loop. It can't be, hey, we're gonna go like a month and not say anything, and then all of a sudden, whoops, sorry, it's not working. Uh-huh. You know,
0: awkward, right? That's yeah. that's not a good look. But yeah, you don't but, wanna like drop yeah, the floor beneath them. Like you have to identify that, exactly. like, okay, these failures are starting to occur. This is an issue, this is an issue. Exactly, And not sweep them under the right. rug until one day, oops, no, project's crashed. Oops sorry
1: you have just been stuffing trash in the walls no there's um yeah i think too that really knowing yourself and understanding what you can reasonably take on and what's well within your strengths what's kind of outside your strengths a little bit and could be a growth opportunity um i think that goes a long way toward that. And I think a lot of freelancers, when they're first starting out, sometimes they'll just say yes to everything and take on way more than what they realistically can get done. So being brave and saying no to the wrong things gives you time and
0: freedom to say yes to the right ones. Yeah, exactly. And that's I bang on about this so much. It's not about how many clients or how many opportunities. It's about the right clients. And looking at things in a longer term picture, you can make more money and be more successful by rejecting clients than you can be by just accepting all clients. Because once you max yourself out and you start being pushed for time and then you introduce that element of stress, you're not enjoying the projects then that reflects on, you know, your ability to work hard, your creativity, Mm -hmm. all these other aspects. And if you just take the time to say no and only accept the projects that are right for you, that you're interested in, that's going to have a positive impact on your career, it's a thousand times more helpful than just saying, yes, I'll 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 do anything for money sort of thing. Right. And I think you're right that's something that we, we advise to everybody and as is, is well, it's not just it's not just about getting as much as possible in, in, in maxing yourself out it's about multiple things in life, I mean people with if you're starting as a freelancer and you're coming from university or you're looking to get into freelance to make money and you look at money as the source of you know, happiness, the source of solving your problems and stuff like that, you'll find that once you reach a certain point, once all your expenses are covered, you know, your rent's paid, all your food, everything like that, and you've still got money left over at the end of the month, the money you make on top of that is not that important. So take the time while you're still young and in like a good position to actually work on projects that are gonna advance your skill set, increase your yeah. network, look amazing on your portfolio, rather than just absolutely maxing yourself out for you know those extra billable hours. Right, and, and it,
1: it takes a lot of bravery to do that. And I think a lot of people they don't they don't start off that way, because they they just they lack the data. You know they don't know that they're that that's a good direction. You know they don't know that sometimes saying no is something that builds Im- immense respect with people they're like wow thank you for not you know stretching yourself too thin um they remember that so yeah
0: it's good stuff man yeah exactly and i mean i look at it like this if this is something a little test i say um to freelancers who are struggling with time they've got too much work they're stressed double obviously it depends how much you're charging in the first rate and how good you are but if if you're doing a good job in your field and you feel like you're progressing your skill set is good you're a competitive freelancer if you have 10 clients and you're absolutely maxed out on the hours double your rate if you lose 50% of your clients but 50% of them stay then you're making the same amount of money for half of the amount of time and you can do you know you can do the maths and see how it works out you could increase your rate by 25% and if you lose 25% of your clients you know whatever like however that works out for you but it's a, it's a good thing that I would recommend to anybody is that if you feel like you are in that point where you're absolutely maxed out and you don't know what to do, try that because also there's a reason why you're maxed out, because if if people want you that badly that you've got sixty hours a week of work sixty hours a week yeah sixty hours a week of contracts, there's a reason why you have those contracts. That's another reason to step back and think to yourself if you have an imposter syndrome like wow I'm booked out. You know, there's a reason why I'm actually booked out. Because mm-hmm. and... people like you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, but yeah, I mean, I I want to say huge thanks um, for coming on the podcast today. I mean, this has been like a really insightful conversation for me. It's been it's been great to talk to you. And you know, let the let the audience know, like where where can they find you? Um, you know, have you got Twitter, Instagram? How can they find Arch DevOps?
1: Oh, the best way they can find Arch DevOps is to go to ArchDevOps.com. Um, I just redid the website not too long ago, a couple months ago. So, really focusing on automation, return on investment, um, you know, clear benefits, things like that. Stories about things that you know we've done previously. Uh, there's even some free stuff on there if you're kind of scrolling around. It's on the main page there. But you know, I love meeting with people. So if you, if you grab a free ROI calculator, or you grab the book down at the bottom, you want to read about automation as it relates to company culture, um, I'll know, and I'm more than happy to have like some conversations with you. If you get the book, especially, I'll probably message you and be like, you know, a few days later, how'd you like the book? And, you know, get your input on that. But yeah, I love, I love talking with people. You can find me on LinkedIn, Michael Fritschews, um, my last name looks like Fritzius, if that helps, uh, it's not it's pronounced differently, but yeah, um, I'm pretty sure I can, I could be found either of those places. So I love meeting people. I've got my own podcast. Maybe if people want to be on a show when I start recording again, um, would love to have folks. I should probably have you on Jacob. Once I get, uh, rolling, I got to get through my stuff, but
0: yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm more, on, more on. than happy to do that. More than happy to do awesome. that. Awesome. Thanks again one last time for coming on the podcast today and thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate your support. And if you want to, head on over to 100kfreelancerclub.com where you can sign up for a free account and get free access to our live masterclasses where we go over everything there is to do with freelancing. Loads of different guests... We've got amazing freelancers, companies. Just, It's really going to boost your freelance career. So head on over to 100kfreelancerclub.com where you can sign up for your free account. And yeah, it's free. You've got nothing to lose. Head on over and sign up and we will catch you in the next episode of the podcast.